Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. Welcome back to the Outer Sanctum for another week. For anyone who's new to our podcast, the Outer Sanctum is where a bunch of football-loving friends gather at the altar of football. <laughs> And pay homage to the stupid, the social and the sublime in footy. Really, it's the easiest job in the world. We like to say when podcasts write themselves and they've certainly been doing it this week. I'm Emma Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Kate Sear. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Alicia Zupa sometimes. <laughs> and Felicity Race was our loose player in defence, so we had to dump her <laughs> thanks to the <laughs> AFL giving us a call yesterday. Ladies... It was an amazing first round of the AFLW. And if you don't want to hear us just heaping platitudes on the women who took on the heat, who took on the haters, I'm going to say that word, who took on um, summer football, then you're in the wrong place because we loved it. It was an amazing first um, round of the AFLW and there is a lot to talk about. Let's kick off with reflections on round one. I'm starting with you, Nicole Hayes. Well, I thought, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we. I mean, we were so pumped for that first game, the Carlton Collingwood, possibly not the strongest game of the round. I think we can safely say that. But certainly when they the um, women ran out onto the field, there was, you know, nothing was held back, at the, certainly at the start. Um, really big games from uh, a bunch of the stars, the Carlton stars, but also um, the obvious, you know, a lot of attention on Chloe Malloy, who ended up scoring as the uh, rising star, one of the nominees. She had 20 disposals, 18 kicks, three marks and two tackles, which is not a bad day at the office, I reckon. Mm. The other nominee was Rebecca Beeson from GWS and I was really impressed with GWS's game generally I have to say talk about stepping up a notch Uh, she had uh, 11 touches two clearances and two inside 50s Really could have gone either way that game. Are you um, doing it was stats? very close. I did do oh. some stats. Stop doing stats. Are you confused? It's the outer sanctum. I wrote them down though. Okay, I feel sure. like I have to say them. <laughs> She's got a highlighter out. <laughs> there was criticisms about that opening game. We're going to dig into that because it's had um, an ongoing story that's rolled out of there. But I will say this: we were there. There was nineteen and a half thousand people who were not booing because there wasn't enough scoreboard. They were, you know, big groups of hearing impaired people. There was um, gay couples. There was men. There was women. There was children. There was footy fans. There was people new to the game. And they were enthralled and enraptured. And everybody had a great night. And all players played well. Awesome night. Yeah. It was Mm. final-like. It Mm. was. Mm. Yeah, it really was. So, Lucy, what was your standout from round one? 
Well, as a D supporter, I have to say Melbourne. <laughs> no, I love that game. What a game. I watched, um, and I had to watch it on TV. I The lead changed three times in that game, and the scores were level in the last quarter. So I think, Nick, you touched on mm. the improvement. GWS, there is a lot to like there. Mm. I'm going to focus just on Melbourne for a minute. So Karen Paxman started on fire, and then unfortunately, um, due to back spasm, she had to end the day halfway through the first quarter. And from there, Melbourne really had to try and find a way because it kind of changed their structures and got in the way of their rotations and all sorts of things. I loved watching Shelley Scott and Kate Hoare up front and they could have really put some scores on. They missed a few in the first half. The things that I love, Daisy lifting. Mm. I know we talk about Daisy Pierce a lot and there's a reason for it. She's a superstar. She lifted in the second half. She'd had, I'm going to talk stats too, she had six touches in the first half but 13 in the second half and took just the most awesome mark. She was ferocious. Erin Hoare, the rookie ruck, was awesome. I thought she did a great job. Meg Downey was solid in defence. We saw Tegan Cunningham who's come over from basketball and there's a lot to like about her. The one for me was Rochelle Cranston. Oh Everyone loved <laughs> her. I'm sorry, but How she, did she scoop I know. that ball? Oh my gosh. So she, her goals were so exciting, mm. but that pickup of that ball in the last quarter was just a, I punched the air. And they're the sorts of things that you see in any game and you just go, I love that. Mm. Bob awesome. the Builder Arms. Absolutely. She, yeah, fantastic. But she was, I think, you know, she's as skillful as anyone I've seen. She was explosive and her two goals in the last quarter were the difference. So I am looking forward to heading out to Casey next weekend mm. to see them in person. So we've all said GWS at least twice already mm. in the first couple of minutes of the pod. Kate? Yeah, I, I think they're a big story actually because, as you said, Lucy, I mean, that was an, an absolutely cracking game and GWS led for most of the match mm. and um, just fell away at the end. Melbourne um, thoroughly deserved the win. But um, I think there's a lot to like about GWS. So just to remind our listeners, GWS finished last last mm. year, um, but they've made a number of changes over the off-season and I think we saw them on, mm. on the weekend. They were fa- fabulous. And um, there's so much to like. I could sort of go through almost every, every player, but I just wanted to highlight a few people who I thought were tremendous. Alicia Eva, who has mm. been picked up from Collingwood, she was tremendous. She had 13 tackles mm. and 14 disposals. And I know, again, we're doing stats here. <laughs> I don't know what's going Who are on. We? But, People um, think they've got the wrong podcast. I know, I know. We've changed, we've changed. Um, but also Courtney Gum, she had 17 disposals. Yeah, Courtney Gum's older than you, Kate Sear. <laughs> and that is 24. very Kate old. Kate Sear is a child, though, Isn't she 36 honest. or 37? Well, she's younger than me. Okay. Let's just... All right. Let's yeah, you've outed her. Like that. Um, Renee Forth, she was finally yeah. back. So Renee Forth is the player who was picked as a marquee for GWS in Season 1, um, didn't play a single game through injury. She she was on. She had nine touches, so wonderful to see her back. Rebecca Beeson, you mentioned at the top, Nick, she had 11 disposals and was a Rising Star nomination. And if you're a GWS fan, you should have a look on Twitter because they tweeted out some footage of... The GWS coach Alan McConnell telling Beeson that she had been nominated, and it was it was gorgeous. It was really lovely. Um, Amanda Faruja, their captain, she Rich. had an absolutely awesome. crass, cracking game. Um, but I just wanted to also mention Ali Brush, 
So Ali Brush, what a story. She played for GWS in that game and then the next day she went and played in the W League for the Western Sydney Wanderers. Because <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah, I, but look, I, I backed it up on the couch two days in a row, so I mean we're kind of... You're amazing, you're elite. Uh, there was another game, Alicia, which was unbelievable when we had the grand final rematch. <laughs> Was it a Sorry. rematch? I don't know. It was so dynamic. And, of course, it's so interesting that Adelaide and Brisbane have been touted as the underdogs of the season. And it's really strange after what we saw last year that they're they're in that position. Of course, Erin Phillips was ruled out an hour before the game uh, because she strained her quad on uh, training on Friday night. She said she's 100% for this week, so that's uh, pretty exciting. Um, and she was uh, missed, but Adelaide still played really well. Um, in particular, Ruth, Ruth Wallace, uh, 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 Aloise Jones um, were exciting. Um, Frederick Trolb, just, man, what, what a, I know you love her, Nicole. I do love her. Her marking was amazing. Her marking's amazing. She got 14 disposals, 10 marks, seven which were contested. Um, but she's saying that she has to rein her anger in a little bit because she's <laughs> just she's just so pumped. She I doesn't know, know what to do with her I know energy. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> like we do here. Exactly. We've got to rein it yeah. in. Um, there's also talk, too, of the Lions uh, thinking of changing their ground because it's just not up to scratch and they really want something a bit better for the AFL. W and to be a bit more exciting, but watch out at Adelaide. But what I mean, Brisbane were just too damn hot. They looked so happy to get that win too. Mm. How good was Emma Zilke, who yeah. you know you'll remember in that State of Origin game had terrible injury, breaking ribs and puncturing her lung. To see her come out, you know that's a, can often take twelve months for ribs to heal. So she would still be really tender. And the mental game mm. when oh. you've been pummeled like that, she was in mm. such a bad mm. state when she came off. Remember, she couldn't fly home. She had to yeah. catch the train because yeah. she couldn't go to alt- she couldn't do altitude. And just you think about the bravery mm. of someone fronting up again. And she had a cracker. She I sure did. I think the um, it'll be interesting to see how the crows cope. I, I actually think the latest news on Erin Phillips is she's out another yeah. week at mm. least. Oh, so she yeah. said she was hundred yeah. percent. She might be, but her doctors are not <laughs> so keen. <laughs> I reckon. Yeah, I reckon that's, but it'll be interesting to see how Adelaide covers. That's an enormous hole. And Jess Wushner. Woo. I know she's amazing. Okay, I want to talk about the Bulldogs because, and I didn't. I thought Frio were actually fairly impressive because they rejigged their game. The Bulldogs were on fire. They mm. were absolutely. The Witten Oval was just unbelievably electric on Sunday, and the Bulldogs. Um, obviously, they'd gone wanting last season. They came out, and it was like the perfect retell of the story. Katie Brennan had a day out. Um, she got a. She, I think she got a reprimand for some rough she conduct. Did. Yeah, but um. And we'll talk about that report as well with Sarah Darcy in a second. But um, the Bulldogs were on fire and I think that there's been so much said about their midfield and, you know, I can't take my eyes off Ellie Blackburn. Um, Emma Carney looked like she had a quiet day but she did her job and the thing that I was absolutely shocked and amazed by was watching Tiana Ernst and Libby Birch like patrolling the back line. It was unbelievable. I mean, those two women, they – 
they've got to change their game up a little bit. And it's interesting to see this as the strategy, but I thought they were fantastic and I thought they were terrifying as well. Um, Frio actually had the capacity to change um, their structures up to try and um, to try and take on the Bulldogs. They were just, you know, they were kind of kicking everything. Astro Connor back to, you know, unbelievable Astor style. And, you know, I think I just said the words to you, Lucy, they really do need to move the 50-metre arc and make it a 30-metre arc. And then she kicked one from 45 out with absolutely no problems at all and made me look like an idiot. But um, I thought it was an exceptional match. The Bulldogs will be very happy with that. But I don't think that Frio need to be disappointed. And now that we're seeing that that Frio-Collingwood game has sold out 42,000 people. I suspect that we are going to see a game from Frio. They're going to come out firing. They actually do have a great list and Michelle Cowan is an exceptional coach and I think that that's going to be a real breakout for them. I'm looking forward to them having their moment. What what the weekend showed to me was just how unpredictable the season is and how Mm. even it it feels already because even as as you've said Emma you know even Fremantle even GWS all of the teams that lost I think put in a good showing and had a had a lot of upsides so um it's going to be an absolutely you know cracking few weeks so exciting it's so exciting and you talk strategy I forgot to mention Brisbane's strategy of the shush did you see did you guys see that for anyone listening Google uh the shush it's it's an interesting strategy oh was it a non celebratory like keeping on the lowdown like you you just go and keep in your place oh and yeah. it was the team shushed me. i just shushed you <laughs> so can we quickly talk about sarah darcy i feel like kate you might have something on this being I, you know our legal legal um, <laughs> it was it was a moment that you know it was a stupid moment obviously when she um kicked it was jess was it jess or sarah sarah, sarah hosking, hosking. Mm. um and all I could think is, I don't even know how you wrap that spot in vinegar and brown paper. I don't know how she's going to recover <laughs> from that, but she's definitely going to have some stud marks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a it was an ugly incident. So for those who didn't see it, in the Collingwood Carlton game on Friday night, yeah, Sarah Darcy did kick Sarah Hosking in the groin, um, and this went through to the 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 new. Um, tribunal system. So you might remember that um, late last year the AFL announced that Michael Christian is now the match review panel boss and there's a new system in terms of how that tribunal works. So he was um, called in to adjudicate and decide what should happen and there was a lot of um, chatter about about you know just how serious that incident was and how she should be reprimanded. Um, he ended up giving her two weeks and she accepted the, the two-week ban. Um, but there were a few things that came out of it that I thought were quite interesting that were just worth reflecting on a little bit and and digging deeper into. So apparently he has the capacity to take into account the fact that the women's season is shorter um, and therefore a two-match ban across an eight-week season is actually a fairly significant penalty. It's like a quarter of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sense, you know, you you imagine one of the blokes getting out for a quarter of the season. That would be sort of a six-game ban roughly. Um, So there was a lot of chatter on social media about about whether it was fair and whether he should take that sort of thing into account. What I saw was that there were a number of people criticising even the idea of thinking about the ban in that way or even contemplating taking into account the shorter length of the women's season. I saw a number of people saying, you know, well, if women want to be treated equally, 
they need to be prepared to be punished equally and not to get somehow a shorter ban just because of um, the shorter season. But, of course, I think it's always been taken into account in some sense, if not explicitly, at least implicitly. There's always chatter when you have a big-name player who might, say, miss a final. Yeah. Or if we think back to Barry Hall 12 or 13 years ago, um, he was up for missing the grand final if he were suspended for a week. And there was a lot of talk in media and um, among the general public about whether that would be a disproportionately harsh sentence. You know, that proportional the, response. That's they right. Always, you know, there was, yeah, exactly. There was, there was that. I mean, is it too big a price to pay to miss a grand final? So I think that kind of debate has always gone on within men's footy. And now I think we're seeing it go on within um, woman, women's footy. But for me, it just points to the bigger question about how the tribunal works. And and that is, should we consider or take into account the fact that for these women who are not just playing a shorter season, but who are part-time, um, who work their butts off to get to where they, they get, and then to, to miss out on a couple of games or three games even, is a really massive penalty. Mm. Um, I don't know the answer, but how the tribunal deals with that is a really challenging question. I should just make one quick point. Um, Michael Christian actually upgraded the offence, by the way. So he gave her a more significant penalty than he could have. Uh, He upgraded it from low impact to medium impact because it was to the groin. And um, in that sense, he actually upped the penalty rather than gave her a, a free pass. This is something I want to talk about because it's awkward and it's weird, but the women's game is different to the men's game. Mm. If you kick someone in the groin in the men's game, that has completely different implications than if you kick a woman in the Mm. groin. Mm. It doesn't doesn't do it feel damaged, doesn't do the same thing. So... I feel like this is a this is a really interesting intersection of where the rules can't be comparable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 A punch in the boot well, the is outcome. different to a punch in the chest. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. It's true. However, I would still take say, it another level though. I'd still say that a boob punch is nowhere near no, a crotch punch. No, for no, a guy. no, that's right. Oh, absolutely. No. And perhaps for a bloke who's running the tribunal, that's a different idea to get his head around. Yeah, because his eyes would water seeing that, Yeah, just even thinking about it. Mine didn't. I was just like, that's that's actually quite a convenient place to put an ice pack. (laughs) But there's also the issue for men is that it can actually incapacitate you from being able to play on and can take a player out of the play for a while. So... That you're right. There is a difference. Well, and absolutely, the the consequences are potentially significant, as you said, Emma. And a number of years ago, you might remember a player whose name briefly escapes me, not in a kicking incident, but just in the general play, actually suffered a ruptured testicle, which is an Ow. extremely serious mm. injury, mm. potentially fatal, as I understand it. So there is there is a very big difference, and mm. how the tribunal grapples with these biological, anatomical differences, and the question of parity of of season length and so on is. Mm. I think something that that we're going to have to continue to grapple with. Are there any women on the tribunal? Michael Christian is, is the, tri- the sole. He's tribunal? the boss now. He's so like, like he just makes a decision. He's like the only parent that's at home. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's out. Go yeah, ask dad. Look, I, I'm not fully across it. I think it, it can be appealed from the, from there on. But he is the initial decision maker now for everything. The men's and women's he's, season. He's okay. that's right. That's Oz. the new he's system. Isn't it? Does he have a week? <laughs> and. It, he should have a week. Can we um, move on? Okay, there was some interesting talk out of Collingwood Carlton that the game was ugly. It shouldn't have been the marquee game. Look, someone, not looking at myself too closely, may have got into it on Twitter. Did you? Don't read the comments. Mm, Why? I've got to get, get that tattoo. Anyway, um, <clears throat> look, I was happy to concede that it wasn't a 
pretty game. It wasn't a beautiful game. But as I said at the start, if you were at the game, there's so much more involved in the opening night's um, match that no one left disappointed, I don't think. But there was obviously some people disappointed from their armchairs. So people were talking about there wasn't enough goals. And what we've seen in the last 24 hours, that apparently the AFL has made calls to the coaches. We haven't had this confirmed. I spoke to Carlton. They certainly didn't think that they'd received a call or a query from the journalist who broke the stories. So that's interesting and by the by. But um, that they're going to, they've asked the um, coaches not to coach the way that they did so defensively because they want to see more goals they want to see a more free-flowing game now I did some research and this does happen in the men's game is that you know the AFL does make calls and mm. if, if you don't kind of come to the party on this that they do sanction you in the ways that the AFL can so you know if, if we don't see say Collingwood and Carlton potentially you know change that kind of setup and the structures um, as the coaches have put it out there, then, you know, you might not get a Friday night game or you might not get, you know, marquee billing or whatever it is. Having said that, there are only four games around. So, <laughs> you know, and only one of them is televised. So on, on the free to air. <laughs> so what are you going to so, take away? So what are you going to take away? <laughs> having said that, I feel like looking at that, I go, it's such a short season. If you don't win one game, that, that you're pretty much letting finals go, Lou. Absolutely. And, you know, you think about we've got a whole bunch of women who are playing for not very much money as well. Yeah. The pressure to – the reward if you actually win the grand final is an option to actually get a bit of extra sponsorship mm. or a bit of extra money. Like how can you ask people to drop four points in – Yeah the interests of trying to make what somebody perceives to be a more attractive brand of football. Yeah, well, there was so much conversation about this over the weekend. I feel that there's a bit of um, perhaps even a lot of hypocrisy creeping into some of these critiques of women's footy. And um, in the main for me, it, it seems like suddenly there's an expectation or even a demand of sorts that these part-time, you know, relatively lowly paid women um, suddenly are required to kick big scores for the amusement of people who either, you know, some people certainly who are invested in the game and like the game, but also a, a, a public or a sector of the public that has no interest in this game mm. and has been highly critical of this game. So suddenly on the one hand there's this demand that these women need to perform to a, a fairly arbitrary standard, I think. Um, but at the same time we get this discourse often from some of the very same people that these women aren't good enough to deserve to be paid full time or to be paid a higher wage. Mm. And you can't, you just can't have it both ways, Quantum I think. Quantum physics says no. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. So it, it just seems to me that increasingly there is this demand among some among some people for champagne football on a Chardonnay budget. And <laughs> I wouldn't go on a cask wine budget, actually. <laughs> but. Yeah, maybe a, that's right, maybe a, a cask West wine Coast budget. Cooler. That's right. But um, that to me is both unrealistic and unfair. And, mm. and I think that... Um, In less time, to too. That's In right. less time. We need to be a lot more generous to the women involved. It's also kind of contrary to the messaging around this second season being one of consolidation. Um, I feel like it, even, you know, however much, you know, truth there is in, in this story, what it's done is put it out in the public domain and it shows like this public lack of faith in mm. in the product. And I think, you know, the people that are going to the game and watching the game and there's a lot of love out there. 
Like mm. we're really enjoying it and finding it exciting. I think, and I think what we've got to keep reminding ourselves is this is for most, like the players that are the most experienced have played nine games of football. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, we're expecting at across that period at this level to, to have, you know, some significant um, increase. I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Kate Sheehan who said you're expecting them to go from zero to 100, yeah. you know, in one year. That's not going to happen. Not only that, what you do see is that there's been all these cross-coders that have been brought in that are wonderful PR stories, but they don't have football experience. Mm. Like I look at someone like Meg McDonald and go, you know what? She actually has so much football experience, but she's not been picked to play for the Western Bulldogs, and I'm really hopeful she'll get picked up next year. But she has football experience. She doesn't have the kudos of a cross-coder, and perhaps she's not playing at, you know, the highest level of but you know that's mm. that's where the game is also lacking. It's it's actually a PR disaster, I reckon, to start pointing the finger and saying we need you to make it look better and look prettier because they're nine games in. One thing that came off the back of that same conversation is um, people saying, if we want true equality then we need to be able to be critical of the game. We need mm. to be able to say that was a crappy game. And it actually made me laugh and laugh and laugh because you know what? It's not even a legitimate question to say is aren't we okay? Aren't we grown up enough to say that this is a you know, be critical of the game? Because people have always been critical of this <laughs> no game. Kidding, even no a kidding. good game. The one constant in women's game is the critics. So go your hardest. This is season two. It's not comparative with women's soccer or netball or swimming or tennis because there's always been pathways. It's not even comparable with AFL M. It may be comparable with season two of the VFL, which took place in eighteen ninety eight when there was eight teams in the <laughs> competition and the players have jobs but otherwise there is no comparison to be made but you know what I can't stop you from being critical because that's what people do around women's football and if you want to read the history of it Sam Lane has released an amazing (laughs) book called Raw which talks you through the criticisms from the highest level to the very lowest level on Twitter so go your hardest is what I'm going to say she's a nice segue I reckon I've been listening to her getting interviewed about this book and oh my gosh she is Zen. She she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, so we want to talk about that book. Should we talk about it now, Lou? Because it was amazing. It got launched this week. The book is called Raw. It's by Sam Lane, who you know, we're not hiding our love for Sam because she really has led the way and she's also led the charge on women's footy and she does, That's it's kind of an anthology of how we got to where we are. But this book has made us cry, hasn't it, Lou? Absolutely. So I've nearly read the whole thing in about 36 hours. At the opening chapter, State of Origins, actually tells the origin story of women's football in a way that I've never heard it told before. And what Sam Lane's managed to do is pull together these threads that go across time and across the country. And she's pulled it all together to tell a really cohesive story, warts and all, of, of how we came to be at this point. It's, she makes this analogy that there were, you know, she talks about all the various people that, you know, names that we know, like Sam Moston, Linda Desso, Shiloh Curtis, Debbie Lee, Jan Cooper, Susan Alberti. She talks about all of the things that these people have been doing in their own sphere of influence and how often they were, she likens it to making a quilt that people would be working on their particular square and then it was only at the point that the squares were all actually able to join up. I actually like the analogy of a football team that it, if you've got people just doing their own thing around the ground, you're never going to get something. It's only when they all come together as a team. and Like the Spice Girls. Like the Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what she does 
as well as she really pays dues to people like Gillan McLaughlin who brought the date forward and to people like Josh Vandaloo and Gemma Wong and Madeline Penny and Simon Lethlene who pulled this together out of, you know, really against a lot of opposition. So mm. it's – I implore you to read it. It's fascinating. She then goes on and ta- tells the stories of a whole range of pioneers and people like Craig Starsevich, who I had no idea of what his involvement in women's football was. But the thing that always just keeps coming out in all of these stories is how many people were told no. The stories of Jan Cooper when she was head of women's development trying to get a meeting with Andrew Demetriou and he just wouldn't set a time. Um, Craig Stasevich talks about how Jan Cooper kept saying to him, we need to talk about women's football. We need to talk about women's football. And it took a long time for that conversation to happen. Um, and Sam Mostyn saying that she grew tired of her own voice, bringing up women's football at every single meeting that she was at, but still she went with it. And then the and then Sam takes you into these chapters about the players that we know, the ones who haven't had the development pathways the whole way along, um, and the stories um, fill out so much more than what we have seen of Daisy Pierce and um, Sarah Perkins and Katie Brennan and these people with these extraordinary backstories. But the one thing that it challenges and the one thing that it demonstrates time and time again is that where there was no development pathways, I'm not crying, I've got a little frog in my throat, (laughs) um, and where there was no game for them to aspire to play, there was, in lieu of that, there were parents, brothers, there was women sisters. who they had met through footy clubs. There was sisters. There was friends. Coaches. There was coaches who had who took these people under their wing and said to them, you've actually got a talent and I'm going to help you foster it. And in a lot of cases, it was a challenge. It was a financial challenge. It was and an emotional fight. challenge. And it was a fight. And the women who were out there and taking it on, I mean, I implore you to read the chapter on Sarah Perkins will slay you. You are crying now, aren't you? I am now. And the chapter on Daisy Pierce, I thought I knew Daisy. Mm -hmm. And then I read that chapter. It is an extraordinary book. The chapter on Kirby Bentley where she talks about there's this one little bit where she'd always played football barefoot and then goes and sees people play in footy boots and she's fascinated by the tapping. So she puts some drawing pins into the bottom of her sneakers so that they make that tapping sound. Fantastic. (laughs) But, you know, that she then, you know, ended up playing netball and, Mm, mm. you know, she had this really interesting, fascinating path to football. The Mm. weird thing is reading it is I felt like I know that these girls are heaps younger than we are, right? But it feels like it legitimises all the crazy things that we were doing as footy fans out in our, you know, far, far eastern suburbs, northern suburbs, western suburbs, as girls growing up in the 80s or 70s loving football and constantly being asked, is it because the players are hot and and being forced (laughs) to, to declare that we knew how many points you know, made a goal and things like that when mm, actually we five. were we so were true. It, apparently it was five. Just <laughs> they've changed it. Just to demonstrate, you know, how much we actually did love the yeah. game and that, you know, it br- brings all those things together. It feels very familiar. Or as someone said on Twitter, a guy who I won't name said, Isn't it cute when women pretend they know the stats? You just have to um, amuse them. Well, that's a little bit of rage. Right. To punch him in the biscuit. We just did that earlier. Speaking yeah. of Zen. Yeah.
All right, moving right along, there was another couple of big stories that did catch our eye. Kate? Yeah, there were. And uh, they link actually to the discussion we've been having already about equality and parity and and also the growth in the women's game. So um, there was an article in a Melbourne newspaper that I saw Sam Mostyn tweet over the weekend about the rise of participation in women's footy in Victoria. And the figures are extraordinary. Um, just a few of them um, I'll share with you now. There was a 76% rise in teams of girls and women playing AFL. Um, there were 11,000... This is Sorry, this is in the last year. There were 11,000 new players in Victoria in 2017 alone and 30% of all AFL participation in Australia is now women and girls, which is a, a big number and that's growing rapidly. And if you look at those figures on the back of some figures we talked about a couple of weeks ago on our radio show where there's been a similar rise, 76 or 78% rise in New South Wales and ACT of women playing footy, similarly in Queensland where I grew up, which is traditionally not at all an AFL um, state, it's it's very exciting. Mm. There's so much mm. happening at the grassroots level. Um, but there was another story that links to this that I saw in the Australian Financial Review, which I must admit is not a newspaper that I um, normally look at. <laughs> um, but there was a story in there about the Gold Coast Suns and uh, what it said was that last year the AFL had to prop the Gold Coast Suns up by giving them $25 million. <laughs> Which is a huge That's amount a of money. Prop. We're rich. It's a um, very large prop. <laughs> and look, there was a lot of criticism about that, and um, a lot of chatter about that. But what, why that figure resonates with me is that the total player payments for women in AFLW is two point seven five million. So roughly, the Gold Coast is being propped up by ten times the amount of money that the entire women's competition gets. I'm a very, um, I should say, like I'm enthusiastic about the idea of promoting football on the Gold Coast because it's where I grew up, and nobody ever really liked it or, or got it like I did as a kid. And I'd love to see it take off there, but it's a really difficult environment to crack because rugby league is so popular there, and the AFL is just pouring huge amounts of money into that, and far less into the women competition and yet at the same time there are lots and lots of women and girls coming into footy at grassroots who are paying fees and and you know playing Auskick and so there's money coming in at all angles and um yeah I think it raises some big questions about the kind of constant claim that women's footy isn't um isn't viable or financially sustainable yeah I saw some people on Twitter this morning in reference to this you know cracking down on when the coach is playing a defensive game saying well you know the AFL pays for the women's game so they should have to do exactly what the AFL tells them to do by which you know if you extrapolate that that means that the Gold Coast Suns should be um, told which should be and they should be up there you know Gil can tell them which way to part their hair surely yeah <laughs> sounds yeah. fair does it work like that Okay, another thing that we saw this week, Nicole Hayes. There's been some movement on the women's footy show on Channel 9. Yes. Discuss. Discuss. (laughs) Mm. So... Uh, yeah, so Tiffany Cherry, who was the um, was being the operative word, uh, f- the host of the women's footy show on Channel Nine, uh, was relieved of her duties at the end of the season, um, which she has since written about, and I perhaps most significantly because she was replaced not by a woman, and the the uh, the arranged original panel was female coast 
host, co-host and reporter. The host has now been replaced by Clint Stanaway, who is a you know good commentator and all the rest of it, but she was talking about how disappointed she was that the, the, the organisation wasn't able to find a female commentator to replace her, that she understands she has a vested interest in that, but if she does have to lose her job, why wasn't she replaced by a woman? Now, that, of course, caused the inevitable storm. It does feel like that one step, two, one step forward, 27 back or anyway, but we keep for, we seem to lose ground. But in the commentary space, it really, I think that's been really obvious, hasn't it, that a lot of the women we were seeing front and centre are kind of moved a little to the side at the moment. Uh, another fave of the podcast, Daisy Pierce did weigh in yes, uh, in the last couple of days, um, and I'm going to quote a couple of things she said just because I want to have a little think, uh, have a little chat about that. She said, "I enjoy seeing men working across and well-informed football commentators talking about our game. Um, it just goes to show this is not women's football; it's just football." And she did go on to say, "By all means, if there's a female out there that is prepared to and is good at her job and wants to do that." On merit, give her that opportunity. But to think that people just get there because females should be talking about female female footy, I completely disagree. She talks about the fact that she's had opportunities in the men's game and she thinks it should be reciprocated. Um, I guess there's a whole lot of things you can say about that. But the main thing I wanted to take out is this notion of merit and the fact that there is um, that there's this sense that merit is more equal and fairer somehow, this the measurement. And there's been a whole lot of research about merit, um, you know, in terms of employment and, and business and um, all different spaces. Some research uh, that came out of the US recently established that actually the reverse happens when you um, establish merit as being a basis for selection and performance appraisal decisions, men were more likely to be selected and more likely to be awarded higher salaries compared to equally rated women. That actually merit as a basis reinforces and entrenches status quo. It reflects the familiarity. And of course, if you look in the football space, if if merit is of course, the, the measures vary, but if experience is one of them, you can't come into a, a space for women as a new kind of player in, in that area and be equal on in terms of experience. So it reinforces and actually favoured men. So, and I just wanted to kind of highlight the idea that there is somehow this notion that there is um, objectivity when these choices are made and that it's fair and equally applied. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like we could do more and certainly there could be more done in the media space in terms of how women are represented and the positions and opportunities they get in, especially in women's football. It was actually a beautiful sight to behold last year when we turned on that footy show made by Croc Media um, that – that, that it was a whole uh, an all-female panel because it was so unusual. Mm. And it's not an unusual thing to see a whole panel of men talking about AFL. And, <laughs> and yes, we accept that Rebecca Madden is one woman on the AFL footy show after 30 years. And we also accept that this was a weird argument that Peggy O'Neill is at the helm of Richmond. So <laughs> yeah. how that got brought up a couple of times too. Um, I fully endorse and believe of course, the right person for the job is the right decision, mm. but we're deluded to think that that means there's only one person right for the job. There Absolutely. is dozens of men and dozens of women who are more than capable to host that show. I thought it was refreshing and really exciting last year when we turned on and saw Tiffany Cherry and Ros Lanigan. And I did query, where did Ros Lanigan go? Because she was excellent. Mm, She's she a great, great operator mm. and I thought she was fantastic. Lauren Wood's going to do a great job in there. But one thing I did see is as a response, Croc Media's um, uh, head... Um, 
Craig Hutchison came out in a statement which included a quote that said, I will say as a business, no one's more passionate about women's sport than us. And I was like, no, I reckon change a game. I reckon us. I reckon uh, this AFL life. Yeah, maybe. yeah. I reckon the chicks talking um, footy. Chicks talking footy. Yeah, they might be uh, a bit more. I'd say wits up, which is about women in triathlons. I'd say yeah. There's a, probably a few. There's probably a few that Couple. are a bit more passionate yeah. about it. But anyway, we'll see. I thought that was really brave of <laughs> Tiffany Cherry because it's a small industry, it and is she's a small really industry. called it. She's copped it. She's mm. absolutely copped, copped it. But yeah. I thought, you know, she's going to stand up and die on a hill. Then this is the one she's choosing, and um, I thought it was really brave of her. There was a launch yesterday, Alita, sometimes, and I think I saw a circus performer. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly did. AFLX launched with silver balls and circus acts and a rainbow twirling lady um, and some person in a football suit and lots of fire. So that's really good. <laughs> Um, <laughs> More fire, better football. What is AFLX? Well, just really quickly, the game will be played on a rectangular field. Each side has 10 players, seven on the field, three on the interchange. Two 10-minute halves will be contested. A super goal is worth 10 points, a.k.a. a super goal. Uh, a ruck ball will be used. And so that was really interesting. And a lot of people saying another telltale sign the governing body is prepared to fly blind with AFLX is the sheer lack of metrics surrounding its success or failure. It's hard to measure, said Gil McLaughlin. Uh, but <laughs> there was a parachutist who flew in. There was flares, acrobats and the like. Um, and just really quickly on that, um, it was also noted yesterday that the burn Dockers exited the Tasmanian competition and there was a lot of talk about bolstering up the Tasmanian competition if they're even serious about that being a pathway to Victoria. And Damien Peck on Twitter said, I love footy, but it's a kick in the pants when you see a successful TSL club like Burnie die on the same day AFLX is launched with silver balls, circus acts, 10-point super goals and excess money being poured into new markets instead of struggling heartland. So that's a really interesting juxtaposition there. But, of course, AFLX kicks off Thursday 15th of Feb and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. It was quite the spectacle, the launch for AFLX, but my favourite was Kirby Fenwick's tweet where she showed the the parachutist coming down and she said, is there a better metaphor for AFLX <laughs> than the parachute miss, missing the giant X painted on the ground? I think not. No. <laughs> well, it remains to be seen. I'm going to keep an open mind. Are you really? No, you're not. <laughs> Hilary Green, who is a local artist here in Melbourne, and Hilary responded to a call from the Carlton Football Club to produce some art to try and um, generate interest in the women's game and to get people living in and around Carlton to come along, and we spoke to Hilary. Maybe I'll just start off by asking you, you come from outside of football. How did you come to produce some artwork for Carlton for the AFLW competition? Well, I actually, uh, I'm a, a local artist um, in Melbourne, and I've sort of been putting my work on Instagram and keeping myself in the, the artist community um, online. And the marketing director of um, Carlton Football Club, I think, saw me on Instagram um, and they approached me. They really were, were wanting to connect with um, a local female artist. 
mm. um, that could really uh, help sort of depict um, the game in a, in a way that maybe it hadn't been depicted before and really connect with people that maybe wouldn't have gone to football otherwise. I guess people like me. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was going to say um, that makes you perfect in a way for the for the job. Yeah, so um, I haven't I hadn't actually seen a live football game, even though I'd grown up in the country. Um, my parents didn't really uh, watch football. We watched tennis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but but I was so excited to to illustrate um, women in sport. Yes. So I really I thought I'd have a really good go at trying to depict that in a, a respectful way and, and a way that I thought would really value their their approach to, to sport. So, yeah, can, um, I, can I ask you about that then, Hilary? I mean, coming from outside of footy and someone who's never gone to see a live football game before, who, who the sport's a little bit foreign to, tell us, in preparing for the task, what did you learn about existing representations of women in, in sport or women in football in particular? In preparing, I was I was looking at a lot of of imagery of of women in in different teams and just generally um, the the vibe of the game and that particular that particular arena and and um, match I'd heard as a very community feel and I guess in looking at a lot of the the photos I had I was really impressed that the the photos that I saw were equally sort of capturing. Uh, like a strength and 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 an aggression, um, I guess, on the field. And then some photos, I guess, um, were very like showing off the sort of the flexibility that that some of the players have. Like um, I was impressed with some of the kicks that they could yes. do. Um, so that's the sort of difference that I was seeing, mainly in terms of it being, I guess. I, I didn't look too deeply into um, in the media, just that mainly photos and what sort of photos I was seeing um, of women. But yeah, in my research, I really wanted to sort of depict a, a real strength and get away from sort of any feminine sort of um, mm-hmm. enhancing uh, traits, I guess. Yes. Um, and just really focus on that sort of. Um, the battle and the the game. Yes, and the physicality, I suppose. And I know that in in preparing for the job, Carlton took you on a bit of a tour of their facilities and you went down into the dressing rooms and looked at the lockers and so on and really immersed yourself in the history of that club and and the women's team. Tell me, as an artist, what kind of vibe or feeling were you most hoping to capture? Apart from, I mean, you've just mentioned that you wanted to showcase women's agility and the physicality and aggression. Was there anything else as an artist you wanted to make sure you captured? Um, I guess I really thought that with the the vibe of the actual arena and um, from what had been described to me as a, a game that usually gets packed out and people are sort of crowding the the trams and everything. Um, I really liked the feel of a community and that sort of excitement at, at dusk at the sunset match. So I think w- when I went to the game the other night, I, I was impressed that I had visualised it correctly, like that it was yeah. that sort of sunset um, like feel of of a little bit of a buzz of excitement, a little bit more informal too, I guess. There yes. was not not having seen games for 50 years, but someone 
someone I know um, said that it, it sometimes feels like it's how football was 50 years ago or something. So, like, in terms of the community, feel, like, more of a local feel mm. rather than a, a massive um, stadium. But I think that that's, like, what really attracted me to go to my first game. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about your first game because you got involved in producing this artwork and it inspired you to go along to your first ever live game of, of footy, which was the season opener between Carlton and Collingwood. Talk us through it, Hilary. What did it feel like and how how did you experience your first ever game of footy? I guess uh, I went with some children who um, were all young girls and um, they all play sport of their own. And I also work part-time in a school where... I see children playing sport every day and how big games affect them. And I think I was also seeing it through their eyes and how these women were role models to them. And and I think they were really excited to, to see them putting their all in, I guess. Um, and I was pretty amazed at how how, um, uh, how violent it can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just on generally on, on both sides, it's, it's it's a very tough sport to to put your body through, and I could see that. And I, I guess seeing things on TV, you don't often see the the rest of the field at sometimes. So it was amazing to see the, um, the interactions between the players, and and then I guess the crowd that was really packed, but everyone was really supportive. There wasn't any negative vibes that that I was around. So yeah, it was. It was really exciting and a beautiful. It was a beautiful time of night to be sitting there amongst people, just enjoying, and the the rumbles of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I think um, um, I must say I think you went to football on what was pretty much a perfect night. I was there too, yeah. as you know, and it was just absolutely magical. Do you think you'll go to another footy game? Are you a fan now? I think I'm a fan of the women's football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like. I, I have been to the like the MCG and and um, big stadiums for tennis and for cricket, um, but I I really I I don't know I really liked this this game. I think it was also being women. It just it's just something that should be seen more. I think yeah, um, and, and it feels different. I think so. Um, look, well, thank you, Hillary, for for producing that artwork and for helping capture the sort of vibe and spirit of women's footy and and local footy. I think, like many people, you were somebody who was going to their first ever game. The the audience, the crowd was really diverse, and um, it it did have a different feel to it. It did have a di- different vibe, and um, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And um, I hope that you'll keep producing some of that art down the track. Thank you. Thanks so much for speaking to us, Hilary. It's fascinating to hear that story and to hear how art intersects with footy. I love seeing footy art pop around, pop up around mm-hmm. the well, town. You know, it's that it's thing that often it's adversity that, you know, from adversity springs great art. Mm, absolutely. So it's not surprising. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about that we thought we're going to talk about the upcoming games and our predictions. Do we want to do predictions? I don't know if that's mm. our jam. We've done too many stats this episode. It's but, um, so far So... Access at non-ticketed games was something that was brought to my attention in um, a podcast that I love and live by called This AFL Life. Julia Kiera, who um, is one of the co-hosts of that show, had cancer last year and as a result she has some nerve damage in her leg and she didn't go to Friday night's game because 
um, the very thought of queuing up and uh, you know an hour or two beforehand and not being guaranteed a seat was really problematic, um, and that just threw open a query about access. And um, I did some investigation. I actually spoke to Carlton, and there was an area that. Um, that had access and you could have gone and sat there. So I just wanted to make that point that at non-ticketed games, it is worthwhile calling the club or calling the ground and making sure that access is available to you. Um, It's a really important point because, you know, um, this game is for everyone, AFLW, and we want everyone to be included and involved. And um, so if if that's something that um, is important to you or loved ones or people that you're going to the footy with, make sure you do ask the question and find out the answer. Um, the other big announcement is that in round four, when Carlton meet the Western Bulldogs, it's going to be a pride game which is very exciting. I think the announcement is taking place this morning um, and I think that's a fantastic um, achievement and it's a fantastic endeavour of those two clubs. So that will be interesting. And I think in response to the fact that Carlton put out what was, you know, during marriage equality was kind of a fence-sitting memo about their position on it, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that a lot of people at Carlton will be really pleased to see this and to be able to get involved. And I think our friends Chicks Talking Footy are going to have a great day, day. Mm -hmm. yeah, and be involved somehow at that Pride game. So, games coming up, ladies. Giants versus Carlton at Dremoyne Oval on Friday night. What are your predictions for this one? That's going to be a pearler. I'm really excited about that one. I think they might be, at the moment, they feel like the two. I know GWS didn't get the win, but they're at home this time. And I feel like they're the two informed teams uh, and the Demons, I guess. So, um, the Bulldogs and okay. the Western Bulldogs. Yeah. Oh, oh all right. There's all a lot of them. <laughs> I, d- I think maybe it's just the leap they've made in improvement that surprised me. But anyway, I, I'm actually going to call, I'm going to go GDL. To, GWS at home. Anyone with me on that one? We should make a note there that Damien Keeping won't be um, coaching for Carlton. Yeah. He's been he's in hospital. We haven't got a status update, only that he's okay. But we don't really know what's going on there. So Nick Rutley will be um, coaching his assistant. Yeah, well. And best wishes to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also quite, you know, kind of unsettling mm. for um, the players in such a short mm. season. So, mm. yeah, you know I'm a blue bagger through and through. So I guess I'm going for the Blues. But I think GWS are extraordinary. Yeah. I love watching them. Kate? Um, Melbourne's playing Adelaide at Casey Fields on Saturday afternoon at about 5 o'clock, 5 past 5 to are be exact. Are we going to go? Are we going to have a little to bit along. of argy-bargy? <laughs> you know what I heard be- this week is that there's been quite a bit of argy-bargy at the Adelaide games, uh, the Adelaide home games that the crowd is quite vocal and not afraid to boo. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I think Western think- Bulldogs were that Western Oval was fierce on mm. Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> well look I think this is going to be an absolutely fantastic context because these are two terrific teams. Adelaide obviously the reigning premiers, but Melbourne were sensational mm. on the weekend. Um I think this may well um, reveal how Adelaide are tracking this year. Mm. Um, we heard earlier that Erin Phillips is unlikely to play or probably won't play, so that's a huge out for them. But Paxman will also be True. out for Melbourne, yeah, so I think thing. is she really not? Yeah, back with a back I think spasm? she's not. No, she's not going to play this week. Is what I've heard. <sighs> so so was, Melbourne for you, Adelaide for you. Well, I'm not tipping because um, I had a, pre- a pretty much an, a perfect run last year with my Omen watch, and oh, so, um, so I'm hanging up, what, the, hanging up the. Hang up the Wait, so because you didn't tip 
and you got perfect. You got a perfect I'm winner because you. I just want to go out on a high. Right. So I'm just going to sit on the next fence. game. The next game is actually um, you're going to have to watch it on TV if you don't have a ticket because that game in Perth at the new stadium is sold out. So, so I think, exciting. as Emma said earlier in the pod, this is going to be a really interesting game. You know, we saw the stars of Fremantle in um, Dana Hooker and Cara Donnellan really, you know, stood up on the weekend and. Amy Lavelle, you know, kicked those two goals. I think, you know, there's a bit of excitement there and Collingwood will be wanting to to go one better. And if they if everyone shows up, that could be the record crowd. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put too much pressure on it, but Frio have to win that game. <laughs> yeah. They actually have to yeah, win that game I think they do just too. to ca- to capture the hearts and minds of their supporters. That they many have people. to win yeah. that game. No pressure. Good if call. you're one of those 42,000 people with a ticket, wear purple and be very loud. <laughs> Sorry, Collingwood and Meg Hutchins. I know you listen. And go, go Mish Cowan. The final game's <laughs> going to be at the South Pine Sports Complex on Sunday, and that is the Lions and the Bulldogs. And the Bulldogs are looking forward to travelling. I think, mm. looking forward. They didn't have close. many games on the road last year, so I think they're looking forward to that. Potentially, too, the battle of the big forwards with <sighs> Frederick Trial at one end and um, Katie Brennan at the other. So that will, that will be an exciting tall, two, game. Two tall timbers. Tall timbers. I just got excited. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Any final business, ladies and gentlemen? No, uh, ladies? No okay. I'm going to go and done. eat a packet of lady corn chips. I'm just going para- <laughs> oh, no. to go parachute to get them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. We will be back on the radio on Saturday morning on ABC Local or on uh, Grandstand Digital. And you can pick up our podcast from all your favourite podcast places every Thursday-ish, Wednesday Wednesday, afternoon, Thursday mornings. And make sure you um, get involved on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And, in fact, we got a few people coming up to us at the Games, which was so awesome to meet actual Sanctimers face-to-face. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for that. All right, go footy. Go Go footy. footy. See you next week. Bye.